The Retirement Remix, Episode 3, with Ken Ard, former Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina and host of Wake Up Carolina in Florence and Sumter, South Carolina. You are listening to the Retirement Remix Podcast with award-winning financial advisor, host, author, and founder of a thriving financial planning company, Chip Munn. Here you'll get a regular dose of real-life retirement stories and inspiration from incredible, unique people just like you. Each episode features interviews with entrepreneurs, local business owners, CEOs, world travelers, and community leaders. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. Welcome back to the Retirement Remix. I'm your host, Chip Munn, and today I am excited to be joined by my good friend, Ken Ard. Ken is the host of Wake Up Carolina here in Florence. He's also part of a development company that's doing a lot of work in downtown Florence, uh, in particular at the property at Crest Corner. And he's actually even doing some looking into maybe doing some some TV. So I'm really excited to have Ken. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chip. Good to be here, man. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, so Ken, not everybody is uh, is from Florence and South Carolina, all our listeners. And so if you would, while you're you're real well known for your your talk show here, how about tell our listeners a little bit about you, uh, where you come from and kind of how you got here? Well, you and I have one common denominator in that we come from Pamplico, a little small town just east of Florence. It was there that I guess I, I don't know, learned what makes the world go around. My father owned a business that he started in the early 1960s. We manufactured truck beds. I didn't think I wanted to do that. In fact, I was convinced I wanted to get away from there. Like most people born in, and raised in small towns, you think there's a big old world out there somewhere that's much better than what you're confined to, and you want to get out and experience all those sorts of things. I did a little bit of that, but eventually, as adulthood set in and and I don't know, maturity and responsibility became a part of, of the equation. I gravitated back to that family business. I did it from the early 1980s until 2008 when I sold that business. My father passed away in 2004. I sold that business to my brother, who we owned equal shares of it since my dad had passed away. 2008 would have been 11 years ago. That would have been at about the age of 45. It was not going home kind of money. It was not the sort of money you could go to the beach, uh, drink margaritas and eat cheeseburgers and just watch the passive income flow in, but it did create some financial security in my life. And I, I really began to look around to try and understand and contemplate what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I guess to some degree, Chip, I'm still, I'm still doing that. You and I, I think it's important our listeners know we've been friends pretty much all of our adult lives. I'm a little bit older than you are, but we've known of one another and been close to one another's family for our entire existence. But, but I, I, you know, as a 45-year-old selling a business and, and creating a little bit of financial security, that there's still a lot of uncertainty that goes along with that. And to be honest with you, past 10 years, I've tried to hash out some of that uncertainty, and it's led me in a lot of different directions to a lot of different places. I guess the motivator for me selling the business was I'd become fairly political. There's kind of a backstory here. I uh, didn't register to vote until I was the age of 40. I uh, decided to run for county council because of a failed interaction I had with our local government. Got elected to county council once again at the age of 40. And I like to say the first person I ever voted for was myself. So if you don't believe that's egotistical, we'll, uh, I'll prove otherwise. That's probably not as, as egotistical as I can be. 
But the things kind of played themselves out. Second term of county council, I run unopposed. Uh, having been in the private sector, being a business guy, I looked at things in that sort of lens, in that sort of way. Um, a group of business people that you and I both know came to me and asked me to consider running for lieutenant governor at the age of 45. I got elected lieutenant governor of South Carolina, and that probably changed my life and exposed me to that world we spoke about much earlier, the world outside of Pamplico, of the political slash transactional world. It's got kind of a sidebar and interesting notes. The first session of the South Carolina State Senate I ever witnessed I presided over. One of the responsibilities of a lieutenant governor is to preside over the state senate. So there's a little uniqueness there. But but I, you know what we're talking about here, and what I think you and I in general want to get to is this: the, the, the critical moment that I decided to sell a family business that had provided a real good living for me, successful business. I thought my brother and I did a pretty uh, you know a, a decent enough job of managing that business. But it was not a love affair. It was my dad's dream and passion. To some degree, it was my brother's dream and passion. But to me, it was something I enjoyed doing, provided a, uh, you know, a good quality of life. But I always felt there was something else out there I wanted to pursue. Politics kind of came along unexpectedly. And, and since 2008, my selling that business, I've, I've really kind of, I don't know, gone in a lot of different directions. Uh, to your point, I've landed in the world of media. I'm not trained. I'm not versed. I'm probably not qualified to be a, a member of the media. But we, we began kind of launching a radio show as a result of my time in politics. It's politically, politically based and centered. And here we are in 2019, uh, Trump being elected. And that's kind of, in essence, you know, where I come from, what I'm about, and, uh, and who I am. That's interesting. So one of the things that I find kind of curious is how people kind of come to some of the decisions that they make. And I I think that you have a, you you know, I had the privilege, your dad gave me my second job. Uh, I worked at one of his kind of side businesses uh, at at the Catfish restaurant. I I was a dishwasher. And I think that you had a, a unique look at what aging can look like instead of, you know, your dad wasn't one of those guys who worked for the phone company for 35 years and, and then he was doing. What, what was it like growing up with somebody like that? Chip, I thought everybody did it. I didn't know there was a world any other. I mean, I, obviously we're, a, we're a, a result of our events and experiences that we lived. I thought everybody's dad did that. I didn't know that there were people who went to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, got off at 5 for 30 years, got a pension and, you know, lifetime benefits of insurance and whatnot and went home. So I guess I don't, it didn't dawn on me until may, maybe after high school, how unique my upbringing was and how consequential the impact my dad had on me. I just thought everybody had somewhat of an entrepreneur spirit and everybody was always looking for the next exciting venture to get involved in. I couldn't imagine any other way. I mean, I've never been exposed to, and I don't begrudge, I don't belittle, you know, the fact that some people are absolutely as happy as they could ever be, you know, punching a clock and working a job 30 years. There's some reward at the end of that, but but I never was exposed to that. So, so to answer your question, I thought my dad was normal for, for most of my youth. Now, now, once I got to a certain age of, of understanding, I understood, you know, the complexities of entrepreneurship the challenges of doing multiple things at multiple times. What we did have 
And I think it's important when you consider where you go and what you do. We had a business that was established and generated enough revenue and an income to try some other things. And I think mistakes people make at times as they look around and then try to consider, you know, chasing a dream here, chasing a dream there. You, you got to have something to hang your hat on, something to lean on. And we were always fortunate to have that truck body business. And we were dedicated and devoted to it. And, and we understood that if it didn't operate and function profitably, we couldn't try any of these other things. So I always saw my dad, you know, taking the truck body business as basically the cash cow. And if I want to try restaurants, if I want to try convenience stores, if I want to try, you know, growing catfish, and, and then we did that. I mean, we had an aquaculture grant that we received. My, my, my dad always stressed to me, son, you, you've got to have the, the financial resources coming in to allow you to try these things that are more risky. And that's kind of been, uh, I don't know, it's been built into my psyche since then. Let's find something we're good at. Let's be profitable at that. And then if we want to do some things that we find interesting that may or may not work, we don't sink or swim with that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's funny. What struck me about what you said was that you didn't know any different. And I think there are so many people these days who are the opposite of that. You know, I've joked with my kids that when I went to Clemson, coming from where I did, uh, I didn't know what a drug rep was. I mean, I had never heard. I mean, you worked either at the bank or, and this is by no means, you and I are both grateful to be from Pamplico, but back then, I didn't, you worked at the bank, there was a dentist and a doctor and a lawyer, and I just didn't have a, a grasp of those things. But I think that now, there's a, a large contingency, like you said, probably the majority of people who, you know, we kind of do what our parents did to some extent. I mean, that's what you did. You're following in a way in, in the example that your dad did, because you didn't you didn't know any different, but I think there were a lot of people who were the other way, and, and that's part of the reason for wanting to be able to have conversations like these is because there are a lot of people, I was asking somebody the other day, like, how do you define a retirement age? And they said, well, my dad retired at 64, so I figure somewhere around 64. And that's how we're making sometimes these decisions. It's just an arbitrary thing, and I think there's part of wanting to have this conversation is the fact that there are a lot of different ways to do it. You know, what you're doing now is unique to you, and uh, and it's different than the way that your dad did it, and it's, it's probably different than the way a lot of your friends are doing it. I remember, I mean, my dad worked at a lumber mill. I mean, Marshall Lumber Company. You're familiar, I'm familiar. It's the largest employer in town. The town was kind of a, a mill town built around that industry and farming. And my dad told me a story, ah, maybe 16 or 17, about his time, because the business he started in 1963, was not his full-time employment to begin with. He still had a job. He had a day job. And, and he, but, he, but he wanted to do this. And he knew this was what he wanted to do because he wanted to be empowered. He wanted to be in control of his fate and future. And he told me a story about a sawmill at that lumber yard. And a, and a guy ran, you know, 300 board feet an hour through that saw. He ran 600 board feet. And he got paid the same thing on Friday. And I can remember my dad telling me the story that I knew. I knew if I continued down that road that somebody was always in control of my compensation relating to productivity. And, and that stuck with me. And, and I, you know, my, my dad really insisted 
that my brother and I understand that story, that there is safety and security in a lot of places. And if you want to be safe and secure, that there is, to your point, there is no shame in that. But if you want to push yourself, if you want to kind of empower yourself, that there, there's risk, but there's obviously reward. So my dad, basically, I mean, he's the largest influence in my life. My, my dad did not give up all the security of employment, but because he kept his day job until he felt comfortable that, that he was empowered enough to, to kind of start his own business, blaze his own trail. But, but I, I, Kip, I can also remember my dad being very nervous, being very worried. He started the business in 63. In the early 70s, he went out and borrowed a lot of money, grew the business, expanded the business, bought land, property acquisitions, built a building. And Jimmy Carter came along, and interest rates went to 25 6 7%. We remember some of the oil embargoes and whatnot. And I can remember as a 13-, 14-, 15-year-old, my dad sitting in the kitchen. I can remember it like it was yesterday, looking at my mom saying, we're not going to make it. I mean, there, there's no way. You know, I've gone out and borrowed all this money. We started this bit. We've grown this business. The, the economy's all screwed up, interest rates. And my dad was not a philosopher. Uh, he was not really political. He was a hard worker, very hard worker. But I saw the concern. I, I, I guess what I saw was the excitement. Of, of him and my mom almost enamored with this empowerment of self-employment. In other words, I'm going to chart my own course. I'm going to blaze my own trail. Next thing you know, interest rates are 23%. You know, you can't get gas put on certain days and you can't. And, and I saw the fear that goes along with that. And and I, I, I've always kept that day around the table as part of my life as I blazed my own trail, charted my own course, kind of searched for my entrepreneurial spirit that there is some safety and security, that there are days that things are good, that there are days that things aren't good. And, and to your point earlier, I think the reason most people choose the safe, secure road is it's just more comfortable. It, it's less dangerous. It's, it's less subject to the ups and downs and the, and the ebbs and flows of, of, I guess, capitalism to some degree. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I really wouldn't. I, I don't regret I mean, obviously, I've enjoyed the successes of not only my dad, but my family, but I've also experienced some hardships as, as it relates to that. But I just go back to that one conversation my dad had with me about him doing twice the work, getting the same paycheck, and he just knew that there was an internal something about him that just couldn't be happy knowing that was the case. Absolutely. And, and you know, everybody, it's interesting, the stories that we have from being younger that can really just shape a lot of the decisions in our lives. You know, I remember watching my dad pay the death tax after he had to sell the family farm. I mean, that's a large part of how I came to decide to to be in this line of work. And so it's interesting. So given your dad's story and, and having seen him not only the the good part of getting to do a lot of different things, but that stress sitting around the table wondering whether or not they were going to make it. When it, it came time in, I think you said 2008, when it came time to make a decision about selling the business and, and kind of trying to blaze a, a new trail, how did you decide, what, what went into the decision to actually do that? Because that's a big jump, and a lot of people have, they get to a point, whether it's in leaving a career or selling a business, that's a big jump for a lot of people. What went into that decision for you? I was scared to death. I, I can remember a lot. 
it was yesterday. I went on a vacation. You remember the vacation because you advised me and my wife to, to do this. We'd hardly ever have time to do much of anything for ourselves because we're busy with business and she's self-employed, raising kids, you know, doing the best we can, managing our lives as most people do. But I went to Atlantis in the Bahamas and I had a, um, I had a hernia while on a treadmill in, in Atlantis in the Bahamas and an upper and glenoid hernia. I, I remember like it was yesterday and the doctor said, you know, stay in the bed. I didn't stay in the bed. I went back to work. Next thing you know, I've got some issues and complications. And Chip, I can remember laying in the bed, looking at the ceiling, and I don't know why this thought came into my head, but it did. My faith means a lot to me. I mean, my, my faith, I've tried to let be a part of my major decision-making processes. It's not always been as pervasive as I wish it would. Sometimes I make these very secular decisions without, you know, considering a higher power or my faith. But I can remember laying in that bed that day, looking at the ceiling, saying, you know, odds are you've lived longer than you're going to live. That, that one sentence, odds are you've lived longer than you're going to live. Do you want to do this the rest of your life? And, and from a financial perspective, I said, yeah. I mean, it's comfortable. It's fairly predictable. You know, we've had some recessions, but by and large, we weather those. But something just kept gnawing at me. Something kept, I don't know, just, just kind of convincing me that, nah, let, let, let's go down another road. Let's see if there's something else out there. And I really began... And I, and I mean this sincerely, a lot of prayer, a lot of consideration, talk to people who I respect their judgment. And by the time I had kind of explored that, that self-evaluating introspection, I decided to forsake security. I went to my brother. I'll tell you what I did. I called my brother one morning and I said, hey, I need to, um, I need to talk to you for a little while. He said, is everything okay at home? He thought my wife and I were having problems. And I said, no, it's just nothing like that. And, and I got real emotional. And I said, hey, man, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to build truck beds anymore. I want to go try to do something else. What, what do you want to do? I said, I don't really know. I, I don't know. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I'm just going to trust God to open doors and provide opportunities. And, and, and you know the story. Next thing you know, I'm running for lieutenant governor. Next thing you know, I get elected lieutenant governor. And um, so, so in, in that decision-making process, and this may freak some of your, some of your folks out. It may not. But, but I, I really tried to allow my spirituality and belief in a higher power to grant me discernment, to give me wisdom. But it was very secular. I mean, it was very secular and, and individualistic for me to say, I don't want to be a part of something that I didn't create any longer. That was my dad's baby. It, I benefited from my dad's baby enormously. But I, I just wanted something that I could call my own. Something that I could look back one day and show my kids, you know, what, 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 what I'd done. I didn't ride the train that my dad already built. You know, they'll say in your own third, you think you hit a triple. I had some, some, some problems with that. I don't know that people have ever judged me that way, but I judged myself that way. When I decided to make a decision, it was confusing. It was scary as hell. But my spirituality combined with my I don't know, personal ambition and need to create something special on my own kind of led me down that road. So you mentioned the fear, and I think that that's something that a lot of people have dealt with. I think one of the things that I heard recently somebody say is, and this is kind of where I landed when I quit after teaching school that one year is, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm not going to do this. And I, I think sometimes it's important for people to hear that 
that's the first step. A lot of times it's just knowing what you're not going to do and, and the fact that you're not stuck in a particular area or career. I mean, so you, you went from, again, building truck bodies to politics, and, and I understand the, the allure of, of that, but then at some point you got out of politics and, and you started looking at kind of all these other avenues. How do you uh, decide that you want to be in media or being involved in these economic development projects? What goes into those decisions? It's interesting because, as I said, my my worldview was shaped by the world I lived in. I mean, you know, I remember getting elected to county council and and all I'd ever done was, was get up early and stay up late. That's all I knew to do. That's the example my dad set. We get up early, we stay up late, we do our jobs, and we do it well, and we do it consistently. And I, and I got elected to county council, and, and I just remember the political world was different. Everybody drove a BMW and had a Rolex, and I wasn't sure what in the hell they did. And the allure of that was enticing to me. Okay, nobody's welding. Nobody's beating on iron. Nobody's here at 7 o'clock. Nobody's staying until 6.30. But everybody's living a real good life. I got to understand this. I'm a curious soul. So, so I really began the allure of that. And it wasn't the Rolex or the BMW. I'm being a bit, you know, sarcastic in regards to that. But it was the fact that, okay, there are people making really good livings and generating substantial income by doing things different than my dad told me was the only way you could get it done. You could get up early, stay up late, work as hard as you can. There were people that I didn't believe were doing that, but their lives were pretty cool. And I, I began kind of looking around. I guess what I'm trying to say is that a country boy kind of way, I'm going to pay attention to this and see how it works. Once I figured out, I may want to be a part of this. So that's really, that was the allure that led me down that road was, was the seeing in, in the first person and up close and personal that, that here are all these people. I'm not sure what they're doing. I'm not sure how they're getting paid, but it's obvious they are because they've got pretty cool existences. So the belief that there's only one way to generate wealth, there's only one way to make money, and that is, once again, to get up early, to stay up late, and to work your behind off. Then I see a universe of people who I'm not sure are doing that. So I took, Chip, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I basically said, I'm going to do this political thing for as long as it takes me to understand how it works. And then I'm going to go figure out a way to make some money. So, yes, I did leave the truck body business not certain of where I was going after that. As you said about teaching, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not doing this. I'd already decided I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not doing this. But, but it didn't take me long in politics to understand, hey, there, there are a lot of opportunities out there. I'm not sure where they are. I'm not sure what they are. But there are a lot of people out here making real generous livings, you know, kind of connected to the world of politics. And I know some people find that offensive and i understand that it can be nasty and transactional and you know but beneath the uh the belt but but that 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 really was a revelation to me i'm going to take this political experience i'm going to really understand how this world works and then i'm going to figure out a way to, to generate income off of it now i never imagined i'd end up on the radio i thought i would end up a lobbyist or a consultant or an operative or some advisor to a campaign because I mean, my skill set kind of suited that fairly well. But then they come along offering me a political radio show, or really a radio show to, and without any guardrails. Hey, man, here's three hours in the morning. 
you create whatever you think that the listener may, may be interested in. And, and I had a natural interest in politics. And then the one-hour show morphed into three hours. The one market is morphed into, into three. But, but the show, in essence, is about my political beliefs and how they intertwine themselves with the world that you and I live in. You were able to take something that you love doing and, and figure out how to get paid for it. I, I mean, I, I think that that's, again, a, a key takeaway from the concept is, you know, you mentioned your dad said, you know, get up early, you know, show up, work hard, stay late, yeah, and you're going to be successful. And the truth is, while you saw some people who maybe you thought weren't doing that, if you take those same skills that you learned and just apply them to a different area, a lot of the skills that people have translate. And I, I think that that's an interesting thing for, for people to understand. You said something that I think, uh, yeah, I just want to press down on for a minute. You did something and I think for our younger listeners, this is important to, to understand. Sometimes the, the job that you're taking isn't for the job that you're taking. It's to learn what you need to learn for something different. And, and I think that a lot of folks that I've talked to who have reached the end of their careers, I think this is advice that they would give is taking some form of job. Uh, again, in yours, it was in politics, but for somebody else, it might be in, in real estate or at working at a bank to learn where, how certain things work. But what you, you said that struck me was you were going to do something for a certain kind of experience. And then you would figure out how to, and I'm, I'm assuming at the time, between either a, a nest egg or, or the income from, from serving, that you were able to, I mean, it has to work, right? But that the idea wasn't to feel like you have to make the most money you can make now. It's the, I'm going to work and get some experience in a particular area. And then I'll use that to figure out, again, whether it's the next job, starting a business, doing some consulting, taking that initiative to get a certain kind of experience and worrying about how the finances are, you know, they're going to work out, but you figure out how they're, how they're going to work out later. Well, I mean, I, I was making an investment in a weird way. I'm making an investment in myself. I didn't like, you thought about a nest egg. I didn't like taking from the nest egg at such an early age. I didn't. I mean, it bothered me. But, but I knew that I had to do that to become fully aware and versed in where I needed to go next. In other words, I didn't want to take a job that paid 100000 or 200000 whatever the number is. I mean, we all have a nut to crack, and people's numbers are different. But I didn't want to marry myself to that. I didn't want that to be the kind of the room I could find myself to. So I was willing to take, I guess, the rewards of my first career and kind of subsidize my looking for the next opportunity. I knew in my heart that there were going to be two or three or four things out there that I would enjoy that I could make a good living that would be second careers. But I knew that it may take a little while to get there. So what I did was take some of the nest egg you're talking about and basically I kind of loaned money to myself is the way I always legitimized it. And I just made a commitment. I said, hey, I'm not going to jump on the first thing smoking. I mean, the, the, the human nature thing to do is, okay, somebody comes along with this opportunity for this much money. You can leave your money over there and go do this. I made a decision to not do that. I said, I'm willing to take some from over here and subsidize my life for three or four or five years if necessary in anticipation and while on a journey to find that second thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is what I need to do the next 10 or 15 or 20 years of my life. And I'm not saying it's worked out perfect. Of course it has. It's cost me more money 
in certain places and in some ways, raising a family, kids going to college, buying vehicles. I mean, all that is the unexpected things that come along. So when you're only making X number of dollars and you're spending this much, you know, to get the, 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 the I don't know, to get your, your, your family taken care of, it's nervous. I mean, it is. There, there's no doubt about it. Never before in my life until then did I have more going out than coming in. But I knew or I believed. I didn't know anything. I believed that the investment was worth it. And if it took me four or five years, there was going to be an opportunity on the other side that would pay me back, not just financially, but, but in, in, in personal rewards, that as I've earned a somewhat of an income and I subsidize that income with other money while looking for this opportunity that I knew was going to be in my sweet spot. And I think, I think too many times people who are looking for second careers, I think they look for the second career the day the first one in. And I would advise against that. I mean, I, I think you've got to, it's almost like you got to put a pro forma together in your head that says, look, there are probably going to be two or three or four years of uncertainty here. And, and I need to be prepared for that. I didn't do that intentionally. But if I were going to advise anybody today, okay, I'm going to sell a business. I'm going to quit a job. I'm going to do a financial analysis here. But I know I don't have enough money and I'm too young to stop working. When does it happen? I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I don't think anybody honestly knows the answer. But I will say this. Give it time. Don't jump on the first opportunity because you're afraid of, man, I got more money going out than coming in. I had to loan myself another $8,000. I had to loan myself another $10,000. That isn't fun. And it spooked me as much as it does anybody. But, but I, I just made a commitment that I'm not going to take the first thing just because the salary is this and it puts my financial life back in order. I'm really looking for something that I am excited about doing every day. And that you can do, in your case, that you can do for as long as you want to. I mean, I, I think the guy before you did it for uh, for 50 years. He did. And, and, and Chip, I thought of that. I mean, I, did, I thought about it. I said, okay, I'm not a 25-year-old guy who could get on a roof and run a roofing company the rest of my life. What does my world look like at 60? What does it look like at 65? And I'll tell you, financially, I thought about it. I mean, I did. I mean, the finances have to be a part of it. But it was more about what makes me happy. What am I excited about? What gets my juices flowing? And once again, I didn't sell a business for $100 million. I mean, I sold a business for enough money to give me some flexibility and liberty and, and some freedoms. But, you know, selling a business for what I call going home money is one thing. In my situation, it was selling a business to create some liquid that I never had before in my life. But it allowed me to pursue this journey in a more patient way than I would have been able to. Makes perfect sense. And, and for a lot of people, I think that your comment about not feeling like you have to rush into the next thing and kind of take a breath is the note that I wrote. You know, sometimes maybe somebody out there, it wasn't their choice. It wasn't their choice to have an abrupt. They didn't sell a business. Their boss came in and said, hey, man, times have been tough and, and we don't need you anymore. A lot of people went through that in, in 08. It wasn't their decision. But I think that the advice is still absolutely valid because the fear will have you jump right back into something that feels familiar, even though for a lot of people, it really wasn't a passion. Ken, if you could go back now and, and you could talk to, we'll say you sold the business at 45. So you could go back to 43 or 40 year old Ken and you could give him one piece of advice. He's out there kind of working his job every day, plowing his row. What piece of advice, if you could give him one piece of advice, what would it be? 
don't underestimate the opportunities that will present themselves. I think very often, and I've done this, I mean, I, I probably did it as much as anybody. We convince ourselves there's only two choices. You know, I got a zig or I got a zag. And, and I think if I were giving somebody much younger than I the advice, it would be there will be far more choices than you ever imagine there will be if you're willing, if you're willing to be, you know, a bit entrepreneurial. I mean, if you're willing to, to get a little uncomfortable. I, I guess the biggest challenge most people, and, and look, I'm not preaching to the, you know, I'm, I'm not lecturing, nor am I saying I've got it figured out. I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. You, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to be nervous. Your, your hand is forced. And you previously mentioned, you know, the boss comes in and uh, comes in and says, you know, we're cutting the labor by 20 percent. You know, we're doing away with your job. Here's a, you know, six months worth of severance pay and have a great life. I mean, that, that, that's one thing. But, but if you're doing this under your terms, the advice I would give is don't believe that there are only so many opportunities out there. And don't believe that of some of the most unique opportunities, you don't have the capacity to do it. You would have never convinced me in a million years that I would have been in media. I could imagine me being a lobbyist. I could have imagined me being the head of a chamber of commerce, the head of an economic development partnership. If you gave me a list of seven or eight or ten things that I may do, you know, post-building truck beds, there is no way hosting a radio show, being on television, being a bit of a, a media personality, that would have never, ever, ever, that would have been in the top 50. So in essence, I'm arguing that if you're looking for a new tomorrow, don't make the box, you know, one foot square. Let, let it be a hundred yards square because there are so many different opportunities that present themselves that you're not going to be sure they're worthy of pursuing. But if you think that there's a little bit of opportunity there, chase it, go for it. I know that's cliche. It's almost corny. It's timeless in the way we say those those sorts of things, but there's a reason it's timeless because it's, it's so true. And I think so many people, when they choose to make a career change, when they choose to end one career and begin another, they've got this scratch pad with about six likely landing places. I think there's 60 likely landing places, and I would give all 60 of those a fighting chance. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I've just seen, and I think we both have, and, and again, that's part of the reason of having this conversation where other people can listen is we've just seen it happen, right? I mean, we've seen the person who said, you know what, I can't do this anymore, but boss, if you'll let me do X, Y, and Z, I'll still do that for half the pay, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time doing something I like to do, and and we've seen it work out. And so I think part of that is us sharing your story and the stories that, that I'm sharing of other people is to give folks just a, a, a hope and, and, and an idea that it doesn't have to always be the way it's always been. And so, Ken, for you, what's been the best part of the transition? I mean, you went from a, a, a situation where you were 6.30 or 7 in the morning until 6 or 8 at night, but you were doing something familiar, family business, and you know, now over a period of years, you've transitioned into just a different role and a different stage, and, and it's been bumpy in the, the meantime, but if you were to look back, what is it that makes it worth it? That's a really interesting question. The fact that I, I was willing to do something that probably didn't make a lot of sense, and that was to leave a business that had a 40-some-odd-year track record of being successful and providing security 
I'm proud in a weird way that I was willing to do that. I think about my dad a lot. My dad died in, in 2004. I think my dad would probably have wanted me to be in that business my entire life. I think my dad would have probably wanted my kids to, to one day run that company. But I think my dad would be proud of the way that, that I've, I've tried my damnedest to, to continue understanding that the work ethic, the commitment, the drive, uh, the personal stamina, whether it's your first career, your second career, your third career, building truck beds, being a financial planner, hosting a radio show. I guess the thing I'm most proud of was my ability to take what my first career taught me and allow that to be a big part in pursuit of my second career. In other words, as much as I believe my dad would have wanted my kids to build truck beds for a living, I think my dad would respect the hell out of me for the effort I gave in pursuing my second career. And I think about that a lot. I mean, I really do. I think about whether I'm hosting a radio show, whether I'm trying to develop property downtown, whether I'm doing a little consulting in Columbia. I, I think about the foundational principles that that business inspired in me, a family business in a town with no stoplight, that, that I still hold near and dear to me. And my world is uniquely different. I don't wear steel-toed boots anymore. Um, I wear nice suits at times. I shake hands with, with governors and congressmen and senators, and, and I never in a million years imagined I would do that. But the way I took those events and those experiences that I had no idea were shaping me as much as they did, and they're still my fundamental principles, if I'm on the radio, if I'm lobbying on behalf of a, of a you know, a, a group for a piece of legislation. So when you ask what I'm most proud of, I'm most proud of how I've allowed the first career to affect my second career and hopefully a third career at some point in time. Well, I think that's, uh, it's fascinating. And, and it's, it's interesting that we've had several guests. It's, it's not something that's come up before, and I think it's really important, you know, for people to get that. It is the what you're doing now could just be the training ground for whatever it is that's next. So, Ken, kind of last question. So, at this point, you've lived longer today than you're going to live. You've done some cool things. You've got a job, I, I think that that you love. Yeah, is this what? you think you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I really don't. As I've gotten older, obviously you'd hope you've gotten wiser. I, th- I think there's a little beauty in midlife, and I think the beauty in midlife is understanding that as much as you think you're in control, there's so much you're not in control of. And I think the awareness and the accepting of that has created a comfort in my soul. And I mean that. It's not in my heart. It's not in my head. It's in my soul. That as much as I believe I got a plan, as much as I believe I know where I'm headed, that there are a lot of things out of my control. And accepting and understanding that and, and, and kind of just admitting that one day I may have to deal with that. That, that gives me a lot of peace and comfort. The, the realization that, you know, hey, at the end of the day, what I do and how I do it, it's just a, a small cog in the wheel. And, and if something happens that this blows up, I, I go looking for something else. You know, when you're young, you're idealistic. If I was talking to somebody much younger than I, you know, they believe the world's going to always work a certain way and the chips are always going to fall a certain way. And if you do these virtuous things, then life looks like this. You get a little older, you realize life, living's messy. 
living is very unpredictable and just the willingness to kind of accept, you know, I'm an imperfect part of that very imperfect experience. But, but if I hold those, those constant truths, and by that I mean, you know, to work hard, to be decent, to be kind, to be gracious, always give faith a fighting chance, to quote a country song, that's kind of where I find my safe harbor. That's where I hang my hat. And it took me a long time to get there. Well, Ken, I, I can't think of a better place for us to uh, to wrap up than that. You know, the, I, I've heard it said, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Uh, we're both living proof of that, you know. So I really appreciate you taking the time as a busy radio professional that you are. I, I appreciate you humoring this amateur and sharing kind of your experience. Love to have you back sometime to hear about what's next. Thank you, my man. It's been fun. For me too. So now if you're listening to this and some of that resonated with you, you know, the idea that you've already lived longer than you're going to live and is this what you want to do? I think that one of the important things Ken mentioned is, is talking to somebody and, and taking some time and, and really being willing to be a little bit introspective and, and do things differently. If that's you and you want somebody to talk to about it, you're welcome to reach out to me, uh, chip at signaturewealth.com. Or uh, just spend some time talking to your person, whoever that is, a best friend, a spouse. I think one of the hardest things that Ken and I didn't get a chance to get into is one of the hardest things is just to say it to begin with. And so the point of the retirement remix is the idea that there may be a good old song that just needs to be a little more modern. And maybe your career's that way or the way you're doing old school retirement. Maybe if you're like a lot of people, I had a a client in not long ago who uh, had been retired for three weeks and said he was bored as hell, needed a project. So if any of that sounds like you, reach out to us. We appreciate you putting us in your ears and listening, and we will be back at you again real soon. We've created a quick guide to help you get started. Go to theretirementremix.com to download the six steps to finding your remix. Or go to SignatureWealth.com to learn more about how our financial planners can help you. Subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts or listen at TheRetirementRemix.com. 